Welcome to Classic and Curious, a podcast dedicated to exploring today's classic styled life. I'm your host, Ann Kikoski, and each month I'll be sharing conversations with some of my favorite personalities in travel, entertaining, fashion, and decor. We will explore how they elevate their everyday with timeless classics, reimagined with a modern sensibility. So grab a cup of coffee or glass of wine, whatever suits your fancy. We hope to inspire you, make you laugh a little, and look forward to every engagement. Hello, classic and curious listeners. In this episode, be ready to have your curiosity heightened as we engage with a brand that is reviving how classic novels can be discovered for the modern reader. We are honored to host Jacqueline and Ayana from the women-owned publishing and art house, Bond and Grace. Bond and Grace has masterminded the well-known coffee table book into an art novel that opens hearts and minds to a new way to embrace classic literature. Their thoughtfully created collections with bespoke attributes lure you into a world of storytelling like no other publishing company has. Bond and Grace has been featured in Fortune, Modern Luxury, Veranda, Yahoo Finance, just to name a few. Their first two editions, The Secret Garden and Frankenstein, have already attracted and inspired those that have a love for classics, not just in literature, but lifestyle as well. Let's celebrate this beautiful brand together. Cheers to Jacqueline, Ayana, and Savannah. Let's chat. Hello, everyone, and what a beautiful day at Classic and Curious. I am so proud to be hosting these wonderful women of the publishing art house Bond and Grace. Hello, Jacqueline and Ayana. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you. So happy to be here. So tell me a little bit about your brand story and how it all emerged. I would love to share that. Thank you again for having us on your show. And right when you walked in to the Huntress and Pound Ridge, I immediately locked eyes with you and I knew that I somehow needed to know you. So this feels very fortuitous. But we launched Bond and Grace in 2021. And this was right after the pandemic had really kicked off. And I think like many people, I felt like we all had these existential crisis within our jobs at that time. And and similar for me, I was um, working for a government contractor at the time and was extremely unhappy. And I knew that I could not do that for the rest of my life. And one day I was visiting an old library, actually in Pound Ridge, ironically, And I was with my mom and I was going through a bunch of old books. And I said to her, I said, you know, have you ever seen a coffee table size version of Pride and Prejudice? And she said, no, she hadn't. And so I Googled it. Nothing came up. And the backstory to this is I collect Pride and Prejudice. Mm. About 50 different versions of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. But so it was something I always collected. And so I went online, found nothing. I was like, huh, someone should do that. And my mom said, like any mom, she said, well, why don't you? Oh, love that. (laughs) Let, Let me just start a coffee table book company, mom. But it was one of those ideas after that, that I couldn't get out of my head. And so I decided to call up a previous colleague of mine, Ayana. She was working at the Google product department at the time. And I said, hey, what do you think 
about this idea. And she said, there's something there, but we should talk to a lot of people before we dive in and do our research and understand what the opportunity might be. And for the next six months, that's what we did. We interviewed interior designers. We interviewed book lovers and book collectors. We interviewed artists and photographers. And what we learned is that people were really looking for an opportunity to connect with the classics in a new way. But what we also learned was that the big publishing houses, like the Asselines, the Tashins, the Rizzolis of the world, they're producing books about fashion, about pop culture, about travel, but they're not actually producing books about literature, which we saw as a really big opportunity. And then on the other side, we found that these publishing houses that were doing the reproductions, that were creating the Pride and Prejudices that I was collecting, weren't doing it in the luxury, bespoke way, in a meaningful way that we were really looking for. And then the last piece is that we also knew that we wanted our books to represent the growth that comes with time. And so we realized we had an additional opportunity to do that. And that's when we decided to work with literary scholars to help modernize these classic texts. And so I'll stop there. But that is essentially where the idea. Well, I love that because if you talk to people, they will say, when you're discussing what's your favorite book, there's a tale of two worlds. It's one that perhaps is on the New York Times list right now, but most people go back to some of the original books they fell in love with, like The Secret Garden, like Pride and Prejudice. It goes back to where you started to build your culture through a book. And I love that. So you have this idea, you met with all these individuals that were stakeholders on this up-and-coming journey. What became important to you as you started to define who you were as a brand? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of things that was always important to us. It was important to us that we give these books an opportunity to contribute something different to culture. Design that you're going to recreate someone's favorite classic or a classic novel in itself is a really big responsibility. And we understood that as a way for us to take that responsibility seriously and find a way to have these books really evolve to represent the new narratives that we have now, help them to age better, help them to resonate with the modern reader. And one of the things that we wanted to do that, or one of the ways we wanted to do that was through visual stories. It was important to us to find visual collaborators in this work. Every coffee table book on the market has some kind of visual element. Maybe it's celebrating a photographer, it's celebrating design, it's celebrating fashion. And so we knew we needed to find a key visual collaborator to help us bring these books into the art book market. And so in those conversations, we were talking to all of these different creators and we realized that artists really would love to hone in on this opportunity to reach book lovers. And they really treasure the opportunity to use literature as a prompt And that became really central to us and really central to our mission to want to story tell differently through classic novels. I think to add to that, you're you're so right around everyone has that favorite novel. 
there's such a sentimental value that people hold with their favorite novels. We heard countless times, oh, The Secret Garden was my favorite book growing up. Or did you see the the adaptation of, of the newest Secret Garden movie? I love that movie. And so it was a really big challenge for us to ensure that we could honor that original story as everyone grew up falling in love with it. And so that was the reason why we chose to keep the full original text of the novel. We did not want to change one word of the original text, but we wanted to add that additional context. And so that's why we decided to work with literary scholars to help us read the text answer all the many questions we had about what was going on during the time period of the novel, what was happening during the author's life that may have influenced some of her writing, why were certain words used? They helped us answer those questions and provide that modern day commentary that I think is the other addition to what a lot of novels we don't see today. And so that was really exciting too, to be able to honor the original, but also make it relevant. Yeah. And I think just being your audience, I purchased The Secret Garden. And for the listeners out there, it is not just an art novel, but an experience. So let's talk a little bit about that. So if you were to take the listeners through a front-to-back experience of what one of your books feels like, how would you describe it to them? Hmm, that's tough questions. I always feel like there's so many ways that we can answer that question, which is the beauty of an art novel. The novel in itself is designed to answer our questions about the book and the author and the time in which it was written and help us to really connect those concepts and those ideas to what we're feeling and experiencing today. And then on top of that, we do that in a way where someone who is very visual has a way to have those feelings resonate with them. And someone who really loves the research also has a way to have those feelings resonate with them. From front to back, when you first open the book, you're greeted by a letter from Bond and Grace. It's our interpretation, our reasoning for choosing that title, our understanding of the things that the title has taught us and and has the lessons that it has for our society today. And then you're met by an introduction that's written by the three scholars who work on every text. And in that introduction, they talk about the overarching environment and context that shaped the author. So, for example, for Frankenstein, we talk about how Mary Shelley's parents really shaped her understanding of knowledge and intellect and her love for science and how this environment and this personality that she was well before her 18th birthday made her the perfect person to be the first science fiction author that we know. And then we talk about all the things that are happening in her lifetime, her marriage to Percy Shelley, all the trauma that she experienced in her life with her miscarriages and her experiences with grief and remorse to help us understand like why a book like Frankenstein came out of her. And it creates a really beautiful backdrop to then be dropped into the art novel core where we have the fresh perspectives from our artists. We've got 12 artists featured in the book that produce 66 pieces. And then we have annotations that dance in the margins of every page. So you're really ready to understand the new context that we've added after you've read the introduction. And then we close the novel with an index. So you can go to the back of the book and find where every art piece is within the core of the novel. And you can see the stories of each artist. Each artist presents a statement that helps you understand their perspective of their collection and why they created those pieces. And then we also close all of our art novels with a teaser 
some indication of what novel we are going to approach next. Oh, that's so great. And I will tell you, the art in the book is amazing. And I just love how the artist's role is to actually play a medium in terms of interpreting that section of the book through the illustration that is next to the page. And I will tell you, each picture may connect with you for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Thus, the reason to why to go purchase the art, which I think is another lovely thing that you do, is that you platform the artist so that people can go purchase that art piece if it struck them in a certain way. And I think that's another thing. So let's talk about that a little bit more, how you are using the book, not just for your storytelling, but also to platform the artists within. So I think we chose artists for each novel that we felt represented some type of value that we wanted to talk about within the book. And so for an example, in The Secret Garden, we had a lot of artists that went through their own grief experience, but then came out of that experience. And that's similar to the author of The Secret Garden. And so they were able to portray these beautiful pieces of art that started off in a very dark and gloomy space, similar to the garden. And then as you see throughout the novel, it expands into these beautiful, gorgeous pieces of art that represent growth and change and hope. And I think it's just really exciting to be able to see all those interpretations and all those personal experiences that people have from reading the novel. And I think the opportunity to then promote and share these artists works and promote their own platform. And the fact that we get to then sell these pieces of art to collectors who appreciate not only the literature, but art is really exciting to us. I think so too. I think it's gorgeous. So we speak a lot about, right now you have two art novels for our listeners to purchase. One is The Secret Garden, and now so excited, Frankenstein was released. Talk a little bit about Frankenstein and what makes this new edition so exciting for people to experience. Yes. What makes Frankenstein art novels so incredible to experience is one, the details from the outside to the inside. So the outside, the exterior of our book draws you in. You're looking at it from across the room and wondering how can Frankenstein be so beautiful because it is the antithesis of the green faced monster that we're so used to seeing. We have an abstract cover that is made from different uh, organic elements representing organic growth. We've got Petri dish mold growing in a Petri dish is actually what's on our cover. But from afar, it looks like an abstract piece of artwork. It looks like a watercolor piece. And then we've got a vegan leather spine, foil embossing. It's the details of the type of special edition book you would see that's on the top shelf of the biggest library in your cities. And then when you open the book itself, we've got all of these different features that are aligned with the design and the narrative. So there's parts of the book where where you're going to be able to experience transparent pages that show you a a secret message from our designers. Or you might find that there is going to be spreads in the book that represent some of the things that we learned about the monster. We've got one of my favorite spreads is a page that demonstrates all the names that the monster called itself. 
as well as the names that Victor Frankenstein called his creature. And to see those names side by side, you start to understand how there's a trajectory from Victor Frankenstein really feeling like he's creating something special and groundbreaking, and then moving into this object of fear as the names change from my special being or my creation to the demon, the devil, etc. And then having some empathy for the monster having to call itself those things, because that's all it knows. And so those types of elements really connect the story in a different way visually, both through the design as well as through the art. Our artists work with our scholars to understand what was happening in history and connect moments in history to their pieces. So we've got art history pages that align a piece in history with the new fine art that was created and a first person narrative from the artists of how they felt about that piece, what resonated for them, why they made that connection. So from just the all the details in itself, there's something for everyone to experience in this novel. And that's just talking about the visual things that grasp you. We learned about how we can really start to reposition Frankenstein the creature as an analogy to how we treat the others in our society, the folks that are representing the or observing the otherness that we have continued to perpetuate, right? A society is only as good as, as it treats its, you know, its least fortunate. And so those are some of the messages that people can start to really latch on to as they read Frankenstein in this modern way through the context that we've added. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention artificial intelligence. Mm. Artificial intelligence is something that we are both fearful of, but we have created it right? Artificial intelligence exists because it is mimicking what we as humans have put out into the internet. That is how it works. It's machine learning. Mm -hmm. And so we talk about that analogy of artificial intelligence and all of these different natural language processing and machine learning mechanisms that are now in the system, aligning that to this creature that Victor Frankenstein created and is now kind of fearful of, and he's not understanding how this creature might come back to bite him. As I'm listening to you, and I don't want to jump ahead, however, I think it's fascinating, and fascinating has to repeat twice intentionally, how the novel itself is put together that just really provokes intellectual curiosity. Definitely. That, and it's relevant. Mm-hmm. And back to what Jacqueline said earlier on in our conversation it's modernizing these classics mm-hmm. that remain relevant in how we see things today. And what perfect timing for Frankenstein to come out. And that touches my heart in so many ways, because I think we need it mm-hmm. to be able to remind us and ground us mm-hmm. in what it means to be a good person and how to look at life differently is beautiful. So I love the lens that you're creating. I do want to go to the bespoke nature of the book because as a designer, as an art history major, as a person that loves details, let's talk about how the responsibility that you have taken to make sure that the details and the decisions that were made on how to put this book together were decided upon. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I'll start a little bit here. The first thing that comes to mind is we know that there is a major cult following for each of these books. 
And that in itself makes us, gives us the the onus to want to honor them in a way that these followers and these lovers of these texts would be proud of us. It's really important that we do justice to it. And also what's helpful in our development process is that we invite them to be to participate in the design with us. So we have a closed group of book reviewers that work with us. And these are folks that are talking about Frankenstein. They're writing their dissertations on Frankenstein. They have TikTok accounts, Instagram accounts dedicated to Frankenstein and Mary Shelley. And we invited them to participate in giving us feedback along the way. It's really important for us to make sure that our community is a part of the work that we do. And it helps us to be better. It helps us to make those right decisions and to know what's, you know, what's really the important scenes that people want to see emphasized or they want to see reimagined in some way. And I think that really gives us the foundation that we need to make the right decisions. And our team is very dedicated to ensuring that the narrative is the core of everything that we do. The way that we start our process is by doing our own internal cultural analysis of the text and deciding what do we want to say. I would say that, I mean, Jacqueline, correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I think we're on the same page here. But our entire team, everybody's a bookworm in their own right. Everyone who's on our our company team really has an affection for literature and affection for making sure that there's an emotional connection with everything that we do and everything that we put out to our community. So I think that foundation on it in itself, that foundation that Jacqueline and I, and I have built with our company is what you see and experience with every art novel. Oh, I love it. And I also have to say the way that it is woven as a beautiful piece of art, like the detail of the pages, the ink. Talk to me a little bit about how it was put together. I think it's it's beautiful to take note of those features. And I think you can take on this one, but I will add something about... Yeah. And maybe I'll say this first and then you can speak to the features. Yes. Perfect. I think to piggyback on that last question... Ayan and I are also very clear about the fact that we don't know a lot when it comes to these novels. And yes, <laughs> we are very okay with getting the right people to answer all of our questions, right? And that we are not the experts in the room. We are the convener for all of the experts and for the artists and for the artisans and designers. And and we take pride in being able to find the smartest people to answer <laughs> all of our questions and to do that work. We It is never us that is making those final decisions. And like Ayana said, it's it's really listening to our customer. It's listening to the literary scholars and it's listening to the artists. And then we just let them shine through our process. So that's my answer for, for that question too. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. I love that because, you know, at the end of the day, the smartest people are the ones that surround themselves with those that are smarter. Mm-hmm. And I do think if you're going to be someone who is bringing forth a classic and taking the responsibility to reinvent it in the way that you're doing, it does take a village to tell that story in the most beautiful way, in the most meaningful way, in the most relevant way, and most importantly, to protect the outcome and the intent. So outstanding. I mean, it's lovely that you do that. So now let's jump over and talk a little bit more about 
those pages and how they're all put together intentionally. So I think that's going to be you, Ayana, right? Yes. So I think another side note here is like Jacqueline and I are really great at dividing and conquering. And so I I lead our product house. So I I live in the trenches of these details. So I'm happy to give you a little bit. There's a lot of details from the outside to the inside. We choose everything right down to the cotton headband of the book, right? And all of the binding is done by hand. We understand what threads are being used. We go see the plants. Those are all really important details to us. And Frankenstein in particular, it was important for our designers to include an experience that might mimic empathy. And that might mimic an understanding of solitude because there's a whole period where the creature is alone and we're just in the creature's head experiencing this voyeurism that he is engaging in as he's learning from a distant family, learning how to read and communicate by reading Paradise Lost. So throughout that section, when you go to those pages, you'll see that the design really becomes very quiet Mm. and solitude. And then there's other moments where we have letters that are being written to Frank, to Victor Frankenstein and letters that are being written to Walton, who is telling the original story of Victor Frankenstein, right? This is an epistolary novel. It's letters within letters within letters. And as we introduce the reader to those letters, we have a different paper texture Mm. and a different font type and a different font color so that they start to associate that paper and font and font color with the author of that letter. And those are things that are not easy or, or inexpensive to do in a book. And so we made that decision to make that the real focal point of Frankenstein. So folks, one, who don't understand Mary Shelley's technique can really start to feel and really resonate with how she has this letter within a letter within a letter experience, which forces you to try to transport yourself into each character's persona and each character's grief, their emotions, their ups and downs. And of course, all at the same time of trying to understand Victor Frankenstein's madness got pages in the text that turn red with every death. Oh, wow. Every time there's a death in the novel, the pages start to be encroached by a crimson hue from the outside. Every time there's a novel we want you to think about and think about considering empathy for the creature, there's lavender that comes from the inside out of the pages. So we've made very, very deliberate decisions based on the narrative. Our writers work with our designers and our art director, and we all sit down. They sit down and look through and decide what can we do at every point, every chapter to really immerse the reader into the story in a different way. Wow. That's amazing symbolism if you think about it, right? Mm -hmm. So that's pretty outstanding. So All right. So let's talk a little bit about the collectors. You referenced them a little bit earlier on. And I see myself being a collector as you continue your journey. And one of the things that I am learning since buying or purchasing The Secret Garden, I was lucky enough that Frankenstein came right after. But I am learning that because of this bespoke nature, attention to detail, collaboration, and the efforts that go into this masterpiece, so to speak, because I do believe each one is a masterpiece, it takes time. 
And so let's talk a little bit about the attributes of your collectors. What do you think, as we talk to our listeners, who would be your collectors that would love your books? So yes, it does take us a lot of time. We are we just launched Frankenstein. We've already been working on our next novel for the past four months. And we will not release our next novel until next year, fall of next year. So it truly does take us more than a year to create each piece. So we are certainly, our collector audience is certainly in it for the long run, we hope with us. But our ideal customer or our current customers are learners. They are people who appreciate those treasures that they that are unique, that they find in those small, intimate specialty stores that they can't get at the mass market Amazons or the, the large furniture companies. These are treasure hunters, essentially. These are people that are going to museums, that love the theater. They're people that look for those antique pieces and maybe mix it in with a little modern piece too. They appreciate art. They appreciate gifting. They're, they are hosting the events and really trend setting what should be kind of like the, the next cool thing, but they don't follow the trends. That's, I think, our ideal person. And obviously they love literature and, and art <laughs> on top of that. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that we talked about earlier in a conversation was It's also those individuals who aspire to be the person you just described. Sometimes like there's a little bit of that in me, right? Like I don't consider myself a literary expert, but I do have a love for classic literature and I do have a love for art and I love storytelling done in a unique way. I love to be taken on a journey. I think for those that are aspiring lovers of art novels that Bond and Grace are giving us a platform to purchase from, it is really, it will probably uncover the inner literary in you, right? Absolutely. So I think it's okay if you're not, you don't have all of the attributes. I think the biggest thing for me and what I'm most excited about for Frankenstein is I know I'm going to be moved by this story. I know it may shed a tear. I know this is going to be an emotional novel on many fronts, not just in terms of the core of the story, but the art and the way the book is put together itself. Two different emotions, emotions from being a sensory experience and an emotion from being touched. And when you can package that in one book, and for all of you listening, I'll tell you where to find this book at the end. It's something that it's a perfect gift for the holiday season. I really keep thinking with the holidays upon us, what better to give a little story around art, empathy, and obviously there's so much other lessons probably in there if you know the story. But I think what a beautiful gift to give somebody. And I think your point about not being the literary expert, that would be my dream to find the person that actually has never read the book or it's not their favorite, but they're curious enough that they want to learn. The person who is curious, (laughs) I would love the person that has the potential to fall in love with the story. And I think that's the other core 
of our initial mission when starting this is we want to expand who these books were meant for. Mm-hmm. Yes. Expand the reach of these stories for people who may only appreciate the art or may just want to learn the history of it or may just want a beautiful piece of art on their coffee table, <laughs> whatever, whatever it is. Yes. I have, yes, I'm on a different note. And one thing I, I feel is so important for everybody to listen to, because there is this span, we have the secret garden, we have Frankenstein, and now we have to wait until next year. What are you doing as a brand to keep people engaged and to stay connected and tethered to your audience? Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. So our long-term vision for Bonding Grace is to be a literary lifestyle brand. So what does that mean? We do not want to just produce, produce, produce products just willy-nilly, right? That That's not who we are. We don't operate that way. We want to create intentional pieces that are inspired by the novel. So we've done this very slowly and intentionally. So our first product outside of our outside of the art novel was tape hand painted tapered candles inspired by the endangered flowers in the secret garden for Frankenstein we are releasing a beautiful letter opener each novel and this will continue on right each novel we will create inspired gifts from that text. And we will continue to release products as we go on this very slow and intentional basis. I would love it for one day if we had lampshades inspired by The Great Gatsby or dinnerware inspired by Alice in Wonderland or teacups, whatever the what is. I think creating these worlds and these larger collections around these stories is so exciting to me. And I think will hopefully be exciting to our collectors too. I think they will be. And tell us a little bit about your newsletter as well. I love the newsletter. I am so glad you asked. <laughs> so our team, like Ayanna mentioned, we are all book lovers at heart. This is we, this is who we are, truly. And so every month we share recommendations of the books that we ourselves are reading. We share other like-minded companies that are usually women-owned, creating wonderful, unique, bespoke products. We share our Lit Talk blog about the different topics where we dive in a little bit deeper into some of the themes and, and that we learn f- from the novels. And then, of course, we highlight our artists and our art and some of the products. And we also highlight book collectors on our newsletter. So it's it's really fun. It comes out once a month. So we're not spamming your inbox. It's really beautiful and curated. So I hope you subscribe to the bookmark is what it's called. That's awesome. And, you know, for everybody listening, again, this is being aired right at the peak, or I should say the tip of the holiday season. As you know, I bring to this podcast those that I admire and those that inspire. And I have been so inspired by Bond and Grace and Story. I admire the three women that started this. And I just invite everybody listening, stay tuned for all the details on how you can get these beautiful art novels. And before I let these ladies go, we all know that at the end of every Classic and Curious podcast, we love to connect the listeners to how they live a classic-styled life. So we'll start, and, and both of you can answer each question individually. 
Jacqueline and Ayana. Tell me who has influenced your style the most? That's a hard one, Anne. You mean like our personal style, our classic style? Your style, whether it's at home or fashion, because personal style emerges, right? Because of my love for Pride and Prejudice and Jane Austen, I have always been very inspired by old English Victorian interiors. I collect old coffee table books, ironically, and I go through those visuals. And so I would say I appreciate tastemakers from the past because I I truly believe there's been so much, there was a lot more thought and intention behind those choices. And I am not a fan of the fast furniture, the the Ikeas of the world. No, I, I understand their place and their purpose, but I believe in collecting antiques and things that can be passed down for future generations. And so I think honestly, the past inspires me. I love that. Yeah, that's a good one. I would have to say similar, but different. So I grew up, I'm from New York. I'm a Brooklyn girl. And so I think the eclectic nature of New York City really has inspired who I am from in terms of the personal fashion sense. I love a good black and white outfit. It would be my dream to have enough discipline to have a only black and white wardrobe. And also my parents were dressmakers and they own an antique shop now in Brooklyn. And so I've always had an affection for old things through them and not even knowing that they were old, just knowing that that was just the way of life. We, you know, I went to the flea markets every Saturday with my father. We, our entire home is all antiques and antique China, and it always has been. And I didn't realize that that was a thing until I left home. So I would say like, you know, Jacqueline and I have similar sensibilities, but from different angles. It's so funny. So Ayana, we would be kindred spirits. because I'm a little bit of a black and white girl myself. So I understand that completely. I'm almost there. I'm getting there. I'm I'm getting better at discipline. (laughs) I'm the opposite of that. I know. (laughs) And you know what? It's so funny because it's my children would be saying the same thing, Jacqueline. They love color. and, And so on that note, what's your favorite item in your closet? Okay, Ayana, you're going to start with this one. Oh my God, that's so hard. My favorite item in my closet right now, or actually it's been my favorite item for a while. And sometimes I just put it on because it makes me feel good. I have this antique wool sweater that's covered in beads, sequins, and pearls. (gasps) And it's cream. And it's just great. It's like a great, fun sweater. It cost me like 20 bucks from some guy. He didn't know what he had. I'm really good at haggling. And I love it. It's like a it's a it's a wool fully lined sweater covered in pearls, sequins, and beading. It's crazy. <laughs> I love it. And Jacqueline, yours? Mine is partly sentimental. So my dress that I wore for my rehearsal dinner was from the designer Philippa Lepley in London. <gasps> yes. And it's a blue, it honestly looks like a dress Cinderella might wear, but there was a, a corset in the dress that was very Victorian and old time. <laughs> but the dress, Kate Middleton actually wore it 
a few months ago, and that was after I wore it. So I think I should claim, but that is a very special piece, obviously, because it was for my wedding. I love that. I wore Amelia Wickstead to my son's wedding, who is a London. Well, actually, she's from, I think, New Zealand. I'm obsessed with Amelia Wickstead. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Favorite classic cocktail, ladies? Gimlet. Gimlet. Jacqueline's a Gimlet girl. Hands down. Gin with lime. Love. Straight up. In a beautiful glass, yes. (laughs) Perfect. In a beautiful glass. Classic cocktail. I used to drink old fashions and then gluten hit me. And so (laughs) now I'm a reposado on ice person. Oh, so fun. What's your most memorable dining experience? Who wants to go first on this one? Wow. Mm. Okay. Well, Jacqueline and I have many shared dining experiences. (laughs) We've got some on our list as well that we need to check off. Mm, Most memorable. That's hard. Did you have one that came to mind first? Any in New York? I have, so Twin Farms is a very small hotel in Vermont. They can't have a Michelin because there's not Michelin in Vermont, but they deserve three stars. They are incredible. And I will always promote them because I was so impressed by, by that experience. I went to their sister property, Blackberry Farm. Mm-hmm. And I am I am a fan and I love Rely Chateau properties in general. So yeah. Me too. <laughs> okay. Ayana. I don't know. I think I'll just say um, Jacqueline and I did Carmen in Cartagena. Oh. Their nine course tasting. And that was so, just so much fun because we also filmed the entire thing. <laughs> oh my God. I love that. Yeah, this was 2019. This is before we started. We thought we were actually going to launch a podcast, but that never happened. So here we are talking about it on your podcast. I love it. That would be great. We'll have to do dinner, the three of us, someplace and come back. And then we'll edit this section and put, you know, that, that part. Favorite destination for travel? Mm. When you, you have to define favorite, because again, Jacqueline and I both love to travel. So when you say favorite, Me is it too. like a place you would go again and again? Is it a place we recommend for folks who are looking to travel more? Like, what do we? Okay, let's do this. Jacqueline's going to say the place that she would go again and again. Okay. And, and Ayana, you're going to say, where would you recommend? Okay. London for me. I'm, I'm obsessed with London. I love walking around London, eating in London, staying at hotels in London. I just, I could live there. I actually, that would be a dream of mine is to live in London. Love that. I would highly recommend if somebody, like people are looking for a place that's interesting and very varied and want to like put a big trip on their list. I highly recommend, recommend Cape Town. Yes. It's on my bucket list. Cape Town is like one of the most incredible places I've ever been to. And I've, you know, like I said, we both have traveled a lot, but 
to go to somewhere that has everything. I mean, water, mountains, landscape, you can get to a safari, you can get to volcanoes. Like there's just so much there. The culture is super rich. The food is varied. There's amazing experiences. I highly recommend if you can get over there to do that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. What's your favorite? My favorite? Let's see. Well, it's interesting that you brought up London because I am British. So I don't know if you know that. No. Yes. So I've been to London quite often. My Yeah. So I have a nice little heritage there. Nice. Cool. I think my favorite destination is a place I haven't been to yet. I am a big believer in the best is yet to come. And I love, I've loved Paris. I loved the French countryside. I love so many places in Canada and the United States. But I think my favorite is yet to come. So I have that dream to keep traveling and keep finding. So that's kind of my answer to that. Ladies, I am so thrilled and so excited for everything that you're doing and extremely proud to call you my extended friends because I feel like this whole experience and just can't wait to keep watching you, watch your brand grow. Someday I hope I can get your autograph. I think we might need to get yours. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I think what you're doing is just pretty special. And I just am just so proud to be alongside you on this podcast today. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us and ta-ta for now. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Classic and Curious. You can find Bond and Grace on Instagram and TikTok at Bond and Grace. That's B-O-N-D-A-N-D-G-R-A-C-E. Be sure to order their art novels and explore their collection of fine art prints at bondandgrace.com. These novels make a perfect holiday surprise for that someone special. Come along with me and subscribe to their newsletter via bondandgrace.com for their favorite must-read books and design inspiration from their tastemaker friends. For those of you that love the classics, this is a brand you must add to your bookmark. Looking forward to our next time together. Ta-ta for now.